evening everyone. There are many different ways of um, dividing up the mind with various theories and so on. They're all just theories. Um, Sometimes they're useful in terms of pointing us in a certain direction or understanding things. In our Western culture, one of the sort of, I'm oversimplifying things, but one of the simple kind of ways that um, the mind is divided up is into reason and emotion, or, you know, reason and and passion. Um, And you see that even in modern psychology today. Um, And uh, when people study Buddhism, I often try and fit it into that Western framework. But the the Buddhist way of um, dividing up the mind or creating a system of understanding it is actually uh, somewhat different from that Western model. And to put it simply, it kind of... It's saying really in Buddhism that, that emotions come and go all the time and there's reason those things are working all the time. But the main kind of... Um, way that the mind is structured within Buddhist psychology is that you have what you call the um, the Brahma-viharas, which are the four noble abodes, which are the, the experience of human life or human experience that's <clears throat> being grounded in uh, loving-kindness or friendliness, I prefer to use rather than loving-kindness, um, compassion, um, joy, and equanimity, and um, so that's the that's the aspiration for a human being to 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 live in that experience. It's not something above or below, whatever. It's just uh, in Buddhism what our true nature is, mm-hmm. um, and what's blocking us from seeing our true nature and experiencing our true nature in those four different aspects is um, greed, hatred and ignorance or to translate it into um, more psychological language grasping and aversion and confusion Mm -hmm. Um, so those three kind of dynamics working together grasping, aversion, confusion or greed, hatred and ignorance um, kind of block us from seeing this true nature which is essentially like a like a jewel you know, um, with a light of um, universal friendliness um, universal compassion universal joy universal equanimity sort of shine through mm-hmm. and in terms of Buddhist psychology, it's simply just saying that when we're clouded by um, greed, hatred and ignorance, our, our way of being in the world tends to be a, a more of a self-centred one. And um, when we see it through the lens of Buddha nature, it's a multi-centred universe, and everything is equal in that universe, like Indra's net. Um, it's, quite, it's quite simple in a way in terms of a concept. And the concept can guide us um, in terms of understanding our practice. 
um, it's useful sometimes to um, to self-reflect sometimes and just see out of those sort of different characteristics of Buddha nature, some more strongly developed than others. Yeah. Um, this is compassion, it's something that comes very, very easily and very naturally, um, but not equanimity or vice versa. Or do we, do we experience joy very naturally, but not compassion? so much. Um, when we're really in touch with no self, then all of these four things just arise together. The words just sort of divide them all up. Um, but when, when insight into true nature is very, very clear, they're all there. Nothing's missing in that experience. They're all there. All the different flavours are there. And with the with the uh, Brahma Viharas, they have it in a system where they talk about the, um, the far enemy of them and the near enemy of them. So with metta or friendliness, you have the far enemy, which is kind of ill will towards other people. But the near enemy is kind of like, it's not universal friendliness, it's just kind of selective friendliness. Friendliness towards the people who will be nice to you or you'll get something from them. Not quite universal. And with karuna or compassion, the far enemy, of course, is something like cruelty, but the near enemy is pity. The true nature of compassion is to, the word actually means compassion, means to suffer with. But all human beings go through suffering. And you're a person that just suffers with others and understands it from the inside. So it's not a superior position. Whereas pity is a superior position. I'll look down on you, you poor thing, and I'll save you. It's very different. Mudita or joy, um, joy is a, a joy in other people's joy. You know, when people have uh, moments of... Um, experience of uplifting kind of experiences from um, falling in love, you know, or becoming pregnant, having a baby, you know, or doing well at something, then there's a, then joys of being able to connect with that experience and enjoy that with others, as well as experiencing your own joy too. Mm -hmm. And also there's another aspect of joy that we um, need to recognize as well, which is called causeless joy being joyful for no good reason whatsoever. Not because something good happened. Deep abiding joy. The, the, the far enemy of that is um, uh, resentment. Um, the near enemy, and some people laugh when I say this, is reckless celebration. <laughs> Excessive exuberance. Um, and then you have upekka, which is equanimity, and the uh, far enemy is um, restlessness or agitation, and the near enemy is indifference. And we could talk about all of these different ones, but I, I want to focus in on this last one a little bit more. But um, 
you see it visually, like I have in front of me here, you have loving kindness, compassion, joy, equanimity. In the middle, you have the near enemy, self-centered, selective affection, pity, reckless exuberance, indifference. And then on this far side, you have ill will, cruelty, resentment, craving. Um, you could think of it as being like a bell curve, right? And the middle ones, the middle, the middle parts, the, the sort of middle of the bell curve. The bell curve is a statistical analysis of data. It goes up like that. And all the main parts falls in the middle and you get the extremities off to the sides. When I was reflecting on this, probably if you did a survey of Australian culture, you'll probably find that most people fall in the middle of the near enemy. But most people, the vast majority of people would not be particularly have universal loving kindness or really be have ill will all the time, but would fall in that middle bit and the pity and of reckless exuberance and indifference. And the more extremes of universal compassion and joy would be out to the side and the extremes of cruelty and ill will and so on would be over here. But probably the vast majority of people fall in the middle somewhere. Um, and it's useful reflecting on um, whether we actually do dwell in those those kind of universal states or not. Like it's real, um, it takes um, it takes a kind of uh, real honesty to look into oneself to see where we are you know, and to do it um, in a friendly way towards oneself at the same time. So it's like a compassionate honesty with which we reflect in terms of whether are we caught untangled up in self-centered ways or are we not? Mm -hmm. Not just to live out an ideal, you know, being a Buddhist, whatever that is. Just another, another name for something. But when we look into this last one of um, indifference and equanimity, um, one of the things I've been um, reflecting on lately is um, how all human beings seem to innately have um, a sense of fairness. Like even, even small children, you know, one of the first things they talk about and get upset about, that's not fair, you know. We seem to have this innate sense of what of fairness or of justice. And, um, and I think it's, it's very important um, in, in practice in everyday life um, that on the one hand, um, we recognise very deeply that life isn't fair, you know, and unfair things may happen to you. And it's one of the primary teachings of Bodhidharma, actually, uh, one of his four essential teachings, that it's important that we um, experience injustice in a non-reactive kind of way. But on the other hand, um, neither is it the, the way of practice to ignore injustice in the world, you know, and just say, oh, you know, life is unfair and too bad. Because if you do that, you fall into indifference. Mm -hmm. And injustice can happen. We can see injustice happening on the world stage in many, many different ways, you know, or even in Australian culture, or even when, in families or in communities. You know, it plays itself out 
um, over and over again. Um, and so if we have um, no kind of feeling about it, um, no kind of even have no feeling of, of anger or upsetness about the fact that um, people can be treated in an, in, an, in an unjust kind of way, um, then there becomes something missing in that experience. It's, it's leaning towards indifference. Mm -hmm. um, yet if we were to just act out of um, anger um, in terms of dealing with injustice, then that's not skillful. There's no equanimity in it. Mm -hmm. So we can either recognize and be really clear that injustice does occur in the world and, um, and as much as possible, um, we work towards trying to compassionately towards reducing that injustice mm -hmm. as much as we could. Mm -hmm. um, so that there's not a huge divide between rich and poor, for example, those who, who eat well and those who don't. Um, so it requires a kind of it requires an action often, but it doesn't require an action that, that comes out of um, anger necessarily, even though anger may be the first trigger that we have that something's not right. Um, and I guess those kind of principles um, are what motivate um, people who are involved in what might be called um, engaged Buddhism or peace activism or um, revolutionary pacifism as Noam Chomsky calls it mm -hmm. uh, or environmental issues um, it's driven by that sense of um, a strong very deep sense of uh, justice um, so we can fall into just being indifferent not wanting to see it or we can fall into anger and ill will as a way of dealing with it or we can fall into the Four Noble Abodes as a kind of guide as to how we deal with that sense of injustice that we experience or see in the world. Mm 